It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear some amazing facts? People often have misconceptions about which animals are truly dangerous. For example... Lions are called the king of the beast, but statistically, they're not the most deadly. About 250 people a year die from lion attacks. Surprisingly, even though they're vegetarians, the World Health Organization says hippos and elephants each kill about 500 people a year. Globally, there are about 40 bear attacks every year, but only four of them result in death. By contrast, every year approximately 1,000 people are killed by crocodiles. Statistically, dogs are more deadly than crocodiles. About 35,000 people a year die in dog attacks. Yes, these are your everyday domestic dogs that turn vicious. In case you're afraid of getting in the ocean, a person's chance of getting killed by a shark is less than 1 in 264 million. Only 6 deaths per year globally related to sharks. On the other hand, Venomous snakes do a pretty good job living up to their deadly reputation, killing up to 100,000 people a year, mostly through encounters with cobras, vipers, or crates. Sadly, most of these deaths could be prevented with better access to anti-venom. You know, the Bible talks about a special serpent anti-venom that still works today. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you've got a Bible question, this is the program. We encourage you to give us a call. The number is 800-463-7297, and we'd love to study the Word with you. Not only can you be listening on the radio, if you want, you could be watching via Facebook. We are broadcasting on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, as well as the Amazing Facts Facebook page. After you tune in, you can send a text to your friends and tell them to join in if they have a Bible question. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we're able to spend a few moments opening up your word and studying together. And Lord, we ask for your guidance and your blessing. Be with us here in the studio and be with those who are listening and uh, those who call in, Lord. Pray that you'd lead us into clear understanding of Bible truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, in your opening fact, you just confirmed what uh, I believed my whole life, and that is stay away from snakes. They're not good for you. I tease Pastor Ross a little bit because, you know, everyone's got their their phobies and he doesn't like snakes one bit. (laughs) Matter of fact, we did a program with kids this last year in uh, Michigan and they brought in as an illustration. It looked like it was a 10 foot python, big old heavy snake. (laughs) And he was I remember trying to bite you. He was trying to bite me. I had a, I had him behind the neck, and he was using all his strength to swing around and 
keepers were saying, no, he's just yawning. I said, no, he's trying to swallow me. <laughs> but I, I noticed that you were at the other end of the building. Yeah, I kept my distance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Africa, and the snakes, they, you don't play around with. I they, bet. They're dangerous. <laughs> they teach you at an early age that if yep. it even looks like a snake, get away. Get away. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, the Bible talks about snakes. Right there in the beginning, in Genesis, we know that uh, the devil used the serpent as a medium. And so from that point all the way through Revelation, where you read in Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan is identified as that serpent of old, the devil and Satan, that old dragon. You know, Jesus says that, you can read in Mark 16, that when we're filled with the Spirit, he says, uh, you will take up serpents. It doesn't mean we're going around taking up snakes. It means we're going to be able to take on the devil. It says, you'll tread on the serpent and the young lion. Speaking of two symbols of the devil you find in Psalms, it talks about there. So with that in mind, Jesus makes, everyone knows John three sixteen, which says, of course, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But many people are unaware that that's almost repeated word for word in John 3, verse 14 and 15. Christ said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Christ points back to this experience in the book of Numbers, where a plague of serpents went through the people, the camp of Israel, deadly serpents, and many people were bitten and were dying. And God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and to lift it up on a pole like a shepherd's staff. And whoever looked at that in faith would be healed of the venom. Christ said, as Moses did that, so the Son of Man, Jesus, would be lifted up on the cross, of course, that whoever looks in faith, we are healed from the venom of the devil, from the, the venom, the power of sin. You know, the venom of many serpents, I forget which snake it is, they call it a two-stepper. Because they say when you're bit, you got about two steps before you die. Now, it may be an exaggeration, but some serpents are extremely venomous. And if you've been bitten by the serpent, the devil, and if you sin, the penalty for sin is death. The only antidote is the blood of Jesus, believing in the cross of Calvary. And we have a book that I think will encourage and inspire you on how you can get that cure. We're going to offer for free tonight. The book is called The Savior and the Serpent, and as mentioned, we'll send it to anyone who calls and asks. This is our, our free off, offer tonight, our free gift. All you'll need to do is call the number uh, 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. Ask for the book called The Savior and the Serpent. That number again is 800-835-6747. And if you have a Bible question, our phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. It's 800-463-7297. 7297. Going to go to the phone lines. We have our first call. It's Charles listening in Florida. Charles, you're on Bible Answers Live. Hey, Pastor Doug, Pastor Ross. Um, I had a question on the in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 8, where it talks about uh, the plague. Now, is that the particular plagues that's is supposed to take, all take place in one day, or is that or does that mean it's like it's supposed to be over, like over a period of time, like days or weeks or? 
Well, a great question. And let me read this for our friends. It's talking about the plagues that fall on Babylon. And it says, therefore, her plagues, Babylon's called a harlot, so it's using the feminine language here. Therefore, her plagues will come in a day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. In Bible prophecy, a day typically represents a year. And you find a number of prophecies in both Revelation, Daniel, where they use, there's different dates that are given, times. And most Bible scholars, this is not a denominational thing, um, most Bible scholars, most Protestant scholars understand the day for the year principle when they're studying the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. So when it says all of her plagues will come in a day, that really means in, within one year, it's all going to happen. And it's speaking of the seven plagues that you read about earlier in chapters, what, 15 and 16. Mm -hmm. And then you'll notice, just to add to that a little bit, in verse 10 of the same chapter, Revelation 18, it talks about her judgment coming in one hour. So her plagues fall within a period of about a year, but then it specifically talks about a judgment that comes upon her right at the end, which is final destruction. It says it comes with one hour. Typically, an hour in Bible prophecy is about 14 days. So um, you also have a reference to half an hour in Revelation chapter 8, about seven days. So there's some interesting uh, time periods that we have mentioned in this chapter. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I could be wrong, but I think three times in chapter 18, it says one hour, and it's describing different things. Mm -hmm. I think one hour, it's like falling politically. One hour, it's falling economically. And I forget what the third one is. Yeah, if you look in verse 17, for as in one hour, such great riches come to nothing. It seems like it's describing that within a year's time, when the seven plagues are falling, Babylon, which is the seat of the beast, it's imploding. And, it, you know, though it may have taken 2,000 years to uh, build itself, it falls very quickly by comparison. Okay. And we have a lesson on the woman, the beast, and the dragon talks about Babylon. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who wants to learn more about the subject. Actually, are you thinking of the study guide called The Other Woman? which is referring to Babylon? Well, either one. We've got the Joe Cruz book called The uh, Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman. Okay. And then we've got the study guide. So we could send you either one talking about Babylon. And uh, the one, the study guide's called The Other Woman, or you can ask for the book called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman. And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for one of those offers dealing with the subject of Babylon in Bible prophecy. Thank you for your call, Charles. We've got Chris listening in Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you, pastors. Uh, good evening. Evening. I just have a question uh, from Second uh, Timothy two, twenty twenty one. Can you read that for me, please? Sure, I'll be happy to. And Paul is writing here. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor, some for dishonor. But in a great house, I'm sorry. But therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Are you wondering what that means or what are these vessels? I, I just need a little help with understanding, yes. You know, the Bible tells us that God is the potter and we are the clay. In fact, I think you can also read in Romans chapter 9, it says, Does not the potter have power over the clay to make from one lump a vessel for honor and another vessel for dishonor? A vessel is, it holds something, and we are supposed to be vessels with God's Spirit. Uh, there's a number of parables and stories about vessels in the Bible, and they're often analogies of people. And Bible talks about these vessels filled with oil in Second Kings chapter 4. This woman 
has these empty vessels and they're miraculously filled with oil. Well, oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. We're to all be filled with God's Spirit. Paul is saying in the church, you know, you got all kinds of different gifts. Different people have different gifts. Some are gold and silver. Some are wood and clay. Some have more honorable positions. Some are more dishonorable. Paul also talking about spiritual gifts in, is it 1 Corinthians 14? He said, we got honorable parts of the body. We've got dishonorable parts of the body. Some are covered up. <laughs> so uh, you've got the head, the nose, the eyes, and you've got the toes. If you could vote and say, I'd rather be a toe, not too many people would ask for that. But it's a very important part of the body. So Paul is using similar analogy here, talking about the vessels. Does that make sense, Chris? Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. We appreciate your call. And uh, we do have, I've got an article online that talks about the, the church body and these vessels. Matter of fact, we have a lesson called Jar of Oil. It's a historical lesson that talks about the vessels being full of oil. And we'd be happy to send that to you, uh, Chris, or anyone wanting to learn more. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for uh, one of the offers. We don't always hand out, but it's a great resource called The Jar of Oil. It's one of our study guide historical lessons, and we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Next caller that we have is Mike, and he's listening in Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, how you guys doing? I just want to say, uh, I saw Bachelor, uh, Doug Bachelor on his 50th birthday do a backflip on television. <laughs> well, I hope you taped it because you won't see it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I've gotten the victory over that. And, uh, you know, if, if someone were to offer, uh, you know, $1 million donation for the ministry, I might be able to do one more if I had a big pillow under me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, do you have a question for us, Mike? Yes, I do. I heard it was a sin for the patriarchs, like Abraham, to observe the weekly Sabbath because Adam's sin interrupted the, the Sabbath established in Eden. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. In fact, and Pastor Ross might help me find it, where it says that Abraham kept my statutes, my judgments, and my commandments. That's Genesis, oh, it might be 25, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Abraham kept the commandments of God and his laws and his judgments and his statutes. I'm sure the Sabbath was part of that. They, it's, it wasn't a sin. And even by the time you get to Exodus chapter 3, the children of Israel were keeping the Sabbath before they ever got to Mount Sinai. The verse you're referring to is Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, where it says that Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And that would certainly include... the. Uh, Sabbath commandment that starts in Genesis chapter 2. And as I mentioned, that in uh, Exodus 16, God called the Sabbath a law and asked the children of Israel, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? He had not given the Ten Commandments yet. That's chapter 19. There's nothing that would make us think that the continuity of one of the Ten Commandments was broken for a period of time. There's all kinds of interesting theories people have out there, but I don't see any scripture for... You know, we got a, a lesson dealing with this. It's called Written in Stone, and we'll be happy to send that to you, Mike, or anyone wanting to learn more about what does the Bible say about the Ten Commandments. Just call and ask for the study guide called Written in Stone, and the number is 800-835-6747. And of course, we'll send that out to anyone who calls and asks. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. 
Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships, when will Jesus come, and much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. We've got uh, Carlos listening from New Jersey. Carlos, welcome to the program. Hi. I would like to first uh, say I, I love you guys. Um, I appreciate uh, Amazing Facts. It's it's a blessing in my home, and I have uh, my question. I have uh, seen a YouTube video by Amazing Discoveries, Walter uh, Veith, and it's called uh, The Battle of the Bibles. And within that video, he um, presents all of the Bible translations have missing passages except for the King James Version. So my question is, um, that being that being said, should those versions be used for um, ministry purposes, like on um, video uh, presentations and stuff of that nature? All right. Well, now, Pastor Ross and Walter Feit are both from South Africa. <laughs> I don't are. know if you, <laughs> I don't know if you want to answer this, but we they're friends actually, and we have great respect for them. But uh, I might respectfully disagree that it's wrong or unethical to use any other translation. The King James is a masterpiece, but it's not flawless as a translation. There are places that the language in the King James is hard to understand. In some cases, it's mispunctuated. I did a video this week called Baptism for the Dead, where I have to explain that some of the verse there in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 29, the punctuation is wrong in the King James Version. And leaving people to think. Yeah, I just saw that video today, actually. <laughs> I watched it this morning. Yeah, so, I mean, the King James is a masterpiece. It's, there's no document that's done more to shape the English language than the King James. And, and I believe God was deeply behind that translation. But I, I think you've got to be careful of saying that every other translation is automatically suspect. There are strengths to some of the other translations. Yeah, you know, it, it is a fact that uh, there are different manuscripts that are used in the translation into English. Some of these original manuscripts that were used uh, missed or did not have some verses that you find in the Texas Receptus. So there are about 16 verses, if I'm not mistaken, that um, you won't find in, in more modern translations, which you would find in the King James or the New King James. It's not necessarily that the translators were purposely leaving that out, but the manuscripts they were using to translate were those verses were missing. So um, that's why it'll jump from one verse to, you know, maybe even skip an entire verse and then go to the next one. So I, I think one thing to remember that when studying the Bible, just remember that the Bible wasn't written in English or in Spanish, but it was written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and of course Greek. And I like to compare different translations and uh, with the modern ability to just click with your mouse on your various Bible software, you can see where that word was used and how it was translated. So 
like Pastor Doug said, there's some things that are actually translated better, uh, more accurate to the original um, language with a different translation than the King James. But there are things translating the King James or New King James that are better than some of the other translations. So we just need to be aware of it. It's like when you read Revelation, and the, the King James translator said that Satan's cast into the bottomless pit. Well, that's a very colorful, creative term. But, I mean, what is the bottom? Is it a black hole in space? Well, that same word, the same translators decided to translate that word deep in uh, Luke chapter 8. It says the devil said, do not cast us into the deep. The same word is abuso, same word. Everyone wants to know, what is this bottomless pit? And I think they got near the end of the Bible and they got creative. So it's not the best translation. It means the nothingness. There are places that even the King James Version maybe has some things could be done better. They were humans that did the translation. The Word of God is perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we do have a, a little book, Carlos, we'll be happy to send you. It's called The Ultimate Resource, and it's all about the Bible. I talk about how we got the Bible and even touches a little bit on translations. And we'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. Again, the book is called The Ultimate Resource, and the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book called The Ultimate Resource, 800-835-6747. Next caller that we have is Emmanuel listening from Africa. Emmanuel, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pastor Ross. Good evening. Evening. Yeah, it's morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Peter, my question uh, this morning is about Genesis chapter 4. And then Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, in the Ten Commandments, God said, you shall not murder. And then uh, in Genesis chapter 4, I see that Cain had murdered his brother, Hebrew. Yes. So this morning I'm asking, I'm asking uh, the murder and killing, when should just go to war? How is God going to death? Those murders and those uh, those killings. What would be the measures of their of their of their of their judgment? I understand. That, that's a good question. So it says in the Ten Commandments, "You shall not murder." Of course, uh, God told Cain that uh, sin lies at your door, and he murdered his brother. And murder is a sin. Murder is different from killing. Uh, yes, there are soldiers that go to battle and in the process of defending their country or fighting for liberty, what they may be asked to kill. That would not be defined as murder. Murder is technically the unlawful taking of innocent life. And if a policeman has to shoot some violent criminal to save people's life, you don't call that murder. Technically, whenever you pull a weed from a garden, you're killing. Or if you swat a mosquito or trap a mouse, you're killing. So the commandment's not just don't kill. The commandment is don't murder, which is different. And matter of fact, I think it's in Mark chapter 10, Pastor Ross, where Jesus, in reciting the Ten Commandments, it's in a few of the Gospels, he uses the term thou shall not murder. He doesn't say kill because that's technically something a little more accurate. God can't say don't kill after he drowns everyone in a flood. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, God can't say don't kill and then he, he tells the the Israelites, they were exterminate their enemies, the Amalekites. But murder is something different. It's the unlawful taking of innocent life. And the verse you're referring to is Matthew 19, verse 18. Yeah, Jesus says don't murder there. Hey, thank you, Emmanuel. It's always good to hear from Africa, and good morning to you. And, of course, we have our study guide on the Ten Commandments written in stone. You mentioned earlier that can be downloaded. Mm-hmm. 
for free. You can download by just simply going to the Amazing Facts website. Next caller that we have is uh, Julio listening in Washington State. Julio, welcome to the program. Hi, Julio. You there? How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you for, for answering my call. And your question? Yeah, my question is uh, it's pretty similar. Uh, just the guy just talked a little while ago. Yeah, my question is about the uh, numbers 15 from 32, mm-hmm. verse 32 to 36, uh, when men, when a guy was picking up uh, sticks and was stoned. So, so I would like to understand more the death penalty on doing something on the Sabbath, you know? Yeah, when uh, in the children of Israel going through the wilderness, there was a man that ignored God's commandment not to gather wood for a fire on Sabbath. They were to do that ahead of time. Matter of fact, he said they weren't to kindle a fire on Sabbath. That that didn't mean they couldn't have a fire, but the kindling of a fire was a lot of work. And so they were to get their fires going in advance and have the wood ready so they could rest. Well, this guy just totally ignored the commandments of God, and God's right in their presence. They could see his pillar of cloud. And they said to Moses, what do we do? And this man was guilty of what you would call a high-handed sin. And Moses said that he should be executed. Now, if that sounds serious, you could go to Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they died for lying. And, you know, God judged them for just telling a lie. So when a person is committing a high-handed sin in the presence of God, sometimes the Lord dealt with that very severely. Now, we don't do that, you know. God's not telling the church to uh, execute people who lie and break the Sabbath. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be short on members soon. Anyway, does that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that verse comes to my mind when I sometimes I build my fire on the Sabbath, you know, and that I'm like, I should be killed, you know. <laughs> but, well, you know, yeah, yeah, but I we have a fire on, you know, if you, if you're cold and there's nothing you can do, I think God He'll uh, show mercy. We heat our house with firewood. I put a log on the fire before I came over here, but on Friday I have the fire built. Or the other thing I do if I know I'm coming home after Sabbath. I've got the the wood in the fire. I've got the paper all ready to light. I've got the kindling under the wood. I just have to put a match to it. And so it's all ready to go. So the idea of the Sabbath is to get all the work out of the way ahead of time if you can. I think when Jesus or God specifically told Israel not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath during their wilderness wanderings, uh, you can imagine having to go out and find wood in the wilderness. Uh, It was a big task. And you have that many people trying to make fires you just imagine the amount of work involved in trying to light a fire or make a fire. It was different when they were settled in the land of promise. Yeah, and it, it got a lot colder in Jerusalem than it did probably in the desert there. Thank you, Julio. Appreciate your call. Another caller that we have is, uh, well, I don't have time to take another caller, Pastor Doug. We have less than a minute to go, but maybe we could take uh, this opportunity just to let you know the program's not finished. We'll be coming back with more questions. But if you haven't seen the Amazing Facts website, it's probably a good place to go and visit. Yeah, just take a look at amazingfacts.org. We've also got some archives of Bible questions. And matter of fact, we're putting out a new book pretty soon. Some of the most popular Bible questions that we've received is going to hit the press, so I think shortly. Don't go away, friends. We're coming back. We see you folks lined up. Deb and Woody and Brianni and Anthony and Craig, we're going to get to your questions in just a minute. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. A beast, a dragon, and a woman. They sound like the characters in a fairy tale, but nothing could be further from the truth. 
These three symbolic end-time players are actually found in the book of Revelation, whose predictions about the last days are not exactly a bedtime story. But there is a book called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, and it's a daring and concise overview of the Bible's most compelling and perplexing end-time players, and it tells about the struggle between truth and error. You'll even find out the part that America plays in these last days. If you want to be ready for the earth-shaking events yet to come, then make sure and get your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman today. To order your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Don't be caught unprepared for the final events of Bible prophecy. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. If you've got a Bible question, you can still call us, 800-463-7297. You can be watching the program right now. We're streaming live. It's it's in our humble studio here in uh, Granite Bay, California. Go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and you could be tuning in. And again, if you want to call in with a question, 800 800- Four six three seven two nine seven. I am Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross, and we're going to go to our next caller. We have Deb listening in Minnesota. Deb, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Hi. I kind of have a weird question, but I'm sure you've pretty much heard just about everything by now. Um, we hear new ones, so don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was a young uh, teen, my younger siblings and I were playing with a Ouija board. And I had um, asked, like, who am I going to marry? And the Ouija board actually spelled out my husband's name, but I didn't meet my husband until I was 19. So I was wondering, can Satan know your future? 
Well, no, Satan does not know, I think, the details of people's future like that because you'd have to be omniscient to know that far in advance. There's a lot of prophecies that Satan makes that are sort of generalizations. Uh, sometimes Satan is a very bright at uh, guesstimating providentially what might happen. Do you mind my asking, does your husband have a really bizarre name or is it a fairly common name? Yeah, no, it's not a common name. That's the thing. Um, it spelled his first name really quickly, and then the last name it had a little trouble with because that's that's not a very usual name. So. Yeah, that's odd. I used to, before I was a Christian as a kid, I used to play with a Ouija board too, and we saw some things happen that seemed like there were spiritual forces involved. I don't think, and Pastor Ross may want to weigh in, but personally, I don't think the devil knows that detail. The devil knows what Bible prophecy says about his future, and the devil knows our future if we're lost, because he's going to share our future for the lost. They're going to end up in the lake of fire, but I don't think the devil has all the details of our lives like God does. He's not all-knowing. Okay. So, you know, I would just write that up to coincidence. Or there may be some way that, you know, uh, the devil, uh, he, he knew from cause and effect who you were going to meet. I don't know. Now I'm kind of delving into a world that I'd just be guessing. Okay. But the Bible does say God and God only knows the thoughts of me, men's hearts. And there's another couple of scriptures that talk about God's ability to discern the future. He said, I'm the only one who can declare from ancient times what will come to pass. I think that's Isaiah. I don't believe the devil has that power. And yeah, it is kind of bizarre. If, if, your, you know, if your husband's name was Bob, which is the same forward or backward, and the devil guessed that, well, I got you know, 50 friends named Bob, so it, <laughs> it's not that much of a miracle. All right, I hope that helps a little bit, Deb. By the way, you want to hear something really spooky? My name is Deb, too. <laughs> no, really, it's a Douglas Edward Bachelor, so there you have it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great evening. You, too. Yep, bye-bye. Next caller that we have is Kevin listening uh, all the way over in Australia. Kevin, welcome to the program. Um, thank you, Pastor. Hey, thank, do you mind my asking what part of Australia you're in? I'm in Queensland. Okay, yeah, we'll be in uh, Melbourne and Adelaide next week, so a little ways from you. Oh, yeah, we'll be. I'll see if I can make some time to um, travel up there to see you. All right, you, are the fires gone out now? Oh, uh, yeah, they have at the moment. I know, you've had a little rain. Anyway, so your question, thank you for calling. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, my question was to do with um, the stones, um, the stones which were described in exodus uh, for the priest to have on his breastplate. He was meant to have 12 of them. And then those same stones are the ones which Lucifer is described with, but Lucifer is missing three of them in Isaiah. So I was wondering, um, what's the meaning of those three missing um, on Lucifer's description? Yeah, I think you're talking about, is it Ezekiel? We're looking at Ezekiel 28. Is that where that is, where it says every precious stone was your covering? Yes. Um, let me look here. Yeah, I'm looking here for the right verse. Yeah, here it is. Verse 13, you are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the braille, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald with gold. Yeah, it's nine. It's not 12. So it, it is not the same as the high priest, but as the high priest, you know, his 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Lucifer, before his fall, was a beautifully adorned, his vestments, he was the highest of the angels. Don't know exactly what it looked like, but God's just saying that, you know, here I clothe you and you with uh, great beauty. And he corrupted it. He took it upon himself. But that's interesting about the stones. Many of them are the same as the... Uh, yeah. Uh, only the, the the priest has 12 and Lucifer has 9. So um, the other three which he didn't uh, have on his description. Well, I'll give you something to think about. And I don't know if I'm on the right track or not. I'm just guessing here. But, you know, uh, 10 of the tribes, technically 9 of the tribes of Israel, because Joseph was one tribe. Nine of the tribes of Israel, and that would be Ephraim and Manasseh, really count as one. They were carried away and destroyed, and they never came back. They intermarried with the other Assyrians, and three of the tribes came back. And that was Benjamin, Levi, and Judah. That means that technically nine were displaced of the original sons of Jacob. Don't know if that means anything. Yeah, it does contribute yeah, to it. Thank, uh, thank you very much. All right. Hey, thanks so much, Kevin. Appreciate your call, and maybe we'll see you down under. All right. Next caller that we have is uh, Woody listening from Georgia. Woody, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for calling. Your question tonight. Yeah, it's uh, probably a pretty simple question. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, there's this uh, phrase at the end, end of it, and it's sort of nested within a lot of Bible quotations. And the phrase is, but a body has thou prepared me. And I'm having trouble finding uh, the reference, the Bible reference. Is, is that a scripture quoted? And then I'm wondering exactly who is thou, who is the me, and there's so many bodies mentioned in the scriptures. Which body is it referring to? Your connection's not real clear, Woody, so I think I understood the question. I'm going to put you on mute for a minute. In Hebrews 10:5. Uh, here, Paul is talking, and Pastor Ross, chime in. I know you do a whole series on Hebrews. Uh, he says, when you came into the world, you said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now, Paul is quoting here from Psalm 40, verse 6, where it says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. But here in Hebrews, it says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Uh, you might be asking, why is there a difference? What does that mean? Uh, one of the possible explanations for that is uh, the quote that we find here in Hebrews is from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which apparently includes that phrase with reference to a body thou hast prepared for me. And of course, biblically, it's accurate. It's, it's not mentioned specifically in Psalms, at least not in the Hebrew, but we do find it in the Greek uh, version of the Old Testament. And it refers to Christ. He's the one that came to this earth took upon himself humanity. Right. The the Septuagint was, it was a Greek version of the Old Testament, and I think they called it Septuagint because they had 70 scholars working on it. And because that dates back, I think, even before the time of Christ, they had access maybe to some of the Psalms of David or longer versions of the Psalms of David. And keep in mind, these are songs. Some people sing different songs, and there's additional verses you hear about years later. You don't see in the typical Protestant Bible. The point of it is, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you've prepared for me christ gave himself as our sacrifice god had a body the incarnation of christ coming into our world i hope that helps a little bit woody we we thank you for your call we appreciate your checking in with us next caller that we have is calling from houston texas we have brianna listening uh, welcome to the program is that brianna Hi. 
Um, so my question is taking from Ecclesiastics um, 9.5. And um, I was reading it and I was looking at it. It says, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know that anything. And I was wondering um, if that is true, how do you explain outer body experiences? All right. And sometimes they call them near-death experiences, NDEs. Same thing. Someone, supposedly, they die on an operating table or at a crash scene, and, you know, they're declared dead, but then later they revive, whether it's through medical intervention or they just take a breath and seem to re-respirate. They die in a drowning accident. They're able to bring them back, and they, they see and hear all kinds of amazing things. If they're dead, then how do they know these things? Well, in virtually every case that I know of, of a near-death experience, it, that's the point. They're near dead. They're not dead. So when a person is truly dead, I've never known anybody that had their head cut off and come back and said, you know, I had this experience. <laughs> uh, it's always, you know, they kind of die on a um, an operating table, but they're not really dead. The brain is not dead yet. The heart has stopped beating. They stopped breathing. A lot of people are resuscitated after that. And we know medically they weren't really dead yet. Their brains were still very much alive. When your brain is robbed of oxygen and it's hypersaturated with carbon dioxide, you can have all kinds of hallucinations. And you can actually induce them by giving a person too much carbon dioxide. I, I think that a lot of these hallucinations people have are just that. They're, they're hallucinating, they're seeing bright lights and narrowing vision. And the the funny thing about these near-death experiences, now, how do you say your name? Briani? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. The funny thing about these experiences, if a person has a Christian background and they're in, in America, they say, I, I went to heaven and I saw Jesus. Or if they're Jewish, they'll say, you know, I saw Abraham. If they're in India and they have a near-death experience, they almost never see Jesus. They see Krishna or one of their gods. If they're in China, they say, yeah, Buddha appeared to me. So virtually all their near-death experiences seem to be in the context of what's already in their head from their raise, their, their rearing and their culture, and they have a spiritual experience. I, I don't know that God's really speaking to them. Now, there's nothing to prevent Jesus from talking to a person in a near-death experience because God can speak to you through a dream and vision whenever he wants. And God might use a near-death experience to send a message to someone, but that doesn't replace the Bible. And they're all different. You know, some people say I, I died on the operating table and I saw a tunnel with two doors and one was blue and one was pink. And I had to decide in reincarnation if I'm coming back as a boy or a girl. And I mean, it has nothing to do with the Bible, all kinds of strange things that people dream. They're not really dead. They're, they're hallucinating generally because they're near death. Okay. So now let me give you Bible proof for that. Uh, there are about 12 resurrections in the Bible. You got Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, Eutychus. Jesus resurrects the widow's son, widow of Nain. So there's about 12. Elijah, Elisha, both resurrect children. About 12 resurrections in the Bible. Of the people who are resurrected, guess how many of them comment on what they saw when they were dead? Zero. None of them say anything about what they experienced when they were dead. Because they were real resurrections and they were really dead. They knew nothing. I'm going to stick with the Bible. The living know they'll die. The dead don't know anything. Now, if you die and you're saved, your next conscious thought is a resurrection. A thousand years may go by, but it won't seem like but a few moments for you. 
You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Can we send you a lesson on the subject? It's It'll be free. It's called, uh, Are the Dead Really Dead? And it talks about some of these verses and talks about near-death experiences, I think. All you need to do is just call and ask for that, and we'll be happy to send it to anyone. The number to call is 800-835-6747. Ask for the study guide called, Are the Dead Really Dead? Again, that number one more time, our free resource phone line, 800-835-6747. Throughout recorded history, tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit deathtruth.com. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Anthony's listening in New York, Rochester, New York. Anthony, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Good evening, pastors. I'm going to be taking my call. Yeah. Um, I, the verse I'm looking at is Judges chapter 4, verse 4. And it reads, um, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidon, she judged Israel at that time. So my question I guess kind of surrounds the woman's role in, in, in the home, in, in a Christian home, especially a married woman or a woman who has children. Um, I've, you know, we, we see that, you know, Deborah was a prophetess and also she was a judge. So she was doing things, working outside the home. I've heard it said um, by some uh, by somebody I know that it is actually a sin for a woman to work outside the home, and especially when she has children, especially. Um, when she's when she's married and so forth, and I can't find any biblical proof about that. But this was, and when I brought this verse up to show it, it was said, "Well, Deborah, she wasn't really a judge; she was only a prophetess." But the Bible clearly says that she was. So I just kind of wanted to know how we should, how we can reconcile from the Bible what God intended for a woman. It, well, basically, is it a sin, flat out? Is it a sin for a woman? Well, very good question. I appreciate the, the perceptiveness in what you're asking. First of all, I don't think this verse is saying that it's it's a sin for a woman to work outside of the home. If you read in, is it Proverbs 31, it talks about the perfect wife. 
and she's one of the busiest women I've ever met. Uh, I haven't met too many like that woman. <laughs> she, her husband rises up and calls her blessed. She's the perfect woman. But no, actually, I know a guy who said his wife was that, that woman. So I, I think you, Christians have to be very careful about saying that it's a sin for a woman to work outside of the home uh, and if she has children, especially, you know, once the children start going back to school, if the woman's sitting at home while they're in school and she could be working part-time, there's, I don't see anything morally wrong with that. When it talks about, and I think Pastor Ross has uh, Proverbs 31. Yeah, it's Proverbs 31 and, and verse uh, 21 is the one you're referring to. Actually, verse 28 talks about when uh, her husband rises up and calls her blessed. But the entire chapter talks about how productive she is, talks about her weaving with her hands and then actually selling uh, this fine purple, this linen that she has made. She's buying land. Right. She's buying, she seems like she's a real businesswoman when you see it. She w- wakes up early and goes out and goes shopping, buys land. And verse 16 says she considers a field, she buys it. Um, from the prophet, she plants a vineyard. So <laughs> she's pretty industrious, pretty biz- business savvy in her dealings. Um, maybe the principle that we see that, that we don't want to neglect is, could it be wrong or is it wrong for, let's say, a mother who has children in the home that are very dependent upon her to neglect taking care of her children because she wants to pursue a career. Well, I think, you know, there's definitely something there. Um, But there are many women who are still very productive, many involved in ministry, who don't neglect their children. Uh, Maybe their kids are at school during that time. Maybe the kids are even grown or older. Uh, Absolutely, she can be involved in ministry and even in the Lord's work, as we have this case of Deborah, and she was a judge, she was a prophetess. She even was pretty brave in leading an army to battle, and they were victorious. Yeah, I'm not sure that she was leading the charge, but she did accompany them to the <laughs> Yeah. He, he went with them because he wouldn't go without her. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we appreciate that. And now just it's on a side note about the prophetess part and the judge part, where it says she was a prophetess judging Israel at the time. That word judging means that she was helping them resolve things with her gift of prophecy. Uh, It doesn't mean necessarily that she was like a Supreme Court judge where she was determining, uh, you know, some of the cases. Uh, Sometimes I think people have maybe built too much out of that. But thank you very much for your question. Um, You know, we do have a book that we can offer you a free copy of, Anthony. It's called A Woman's Role in Ministry. A Woman's Role in Ministry. And it, it does talk about um, you know, how biblically it's okay for women to be productive. And, and again, the number to call is 800-835-6747. It's free. We'll send the book to anyone who calls and asks. It's called The Woman's Role in Ministry. We've got Craig listening in uh, Michigan. Craig, welcome to the program. Good evening, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. I have a, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, um, uh, I was watching one of your videos, uh, Pastor Doug, and you were talking about... Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the title was, but the one of the things you were talking about was uh, gay marriage and the legalization of gay marriage. And I re- remember you saying that there was only one time in history where uh, gay marriage was actually legalized, and that was in the days of Noah. I was wondering, it's been a while since I've heard that. Could you speak on that uh, again, just to refresh my memory? Yeah, no, I think you're referring to, I'll just tell you a little personal tidbit is, People always come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Doug, you said last week on TV. And I don't, I know it's hard to believe, but I don't watch my broadcasts. <laughs> and sometimes on TV, the ministry is showing something I did 10 years ago. And uh, folks are wondering why I suddenly look so young and healthy. 
And I, so I have no idea what they're watching. I do happen to remember, I think the sermon you're talking about was something I preached when California had their Proposition 8 where it was talking about gay marriage. And it's a sermon called A State of Disgrace. And uh, I was talking about how the state of California voted against gay marriage or same-sex marriage. And it was just overturned by one attorney general, later became governor. And in there, I think I quote, again, I'm going, you're going back 10 years. I think I quote from, it's a reference from the Babylonian Talmud that said one of the things, and again, I'm paraphrasing here in the radio studio, that one of the things that was especially offensive to God before the flood was that they were, men were entering into marriage contracts with men. That the Babylonian Talmud comes from, I guess, their Babylonian captivity. That was, I think, the only reference I had for that. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that, uh, that is, you know, is one of the signs um, of our devolving as a society was the legalization of that. And then when you brought up uh, that was the only other time in history uh, was in the days of Noah. That really brings it home as far as uh, uh, the depravity of our society. Well, yeah, and then Christ said, as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the day when the Son of Man comes. That's in Luke 17, I think, in Matthew 24, maybe. I think we've arrived. It was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ruth Graham that said either God is going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah or we're in a lot of trouble. That's another loose translation, but (laughs) a loose quote. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate your call, Craig. We've got Teresa listening in Anchorage, Alaska. Teresa, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, Teresa. We got about two and a half minutes. Can we do it? Okay. Yes. Uh, My question is um, about the rapture. I don't know if it's happening during the second coming or before the second coming. All right, very good. Uh, the rapture, and the word rapture means being caught up. It takes place at simultaneous with Christ's return. And this is First Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That means rapture. We are caught up to meet them in the air. So when the Lord comes, but you know, we here, Pastor Ross and I and most Protestants, did not used to believe in the secret rapture. We believe we're going to be caught up. But the idea that uh, life goes on for seven more years after Christ's coming, don't believe the Bible teaches that. You look, yes, Jesus is coming as a thief, but listen to what Peter said. The day of the Lord, Second Peter chapter 3 the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with fervent heat and the earth and the things in it are burned up. Doesn't sound like life goes on seven more years when Jesus comes as a thief. And in Revelation chapter, uh, where is it, 16, where it says, Behold, I come as a thief and uh, let him keep his garments. And that's between the sixth and the seventh plague. God is saying, I come as a thief. So how can you say it's a secret when it's, you know, just between the sixth and the seventh coming, sixth and seventh plagues? We have a book. We're going to send you a free copy, uh, Teresa, and that is Anything But Secret. And the verse you're referring to is Revelation sixteen fifteen. Great. Perfect. Thank you. We'll send you that free book. Pastor Ross will tell you about it. The book is called Anything But Secret, and the number to receive it is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book Anything But Secret. If you're outside of North America and you'd like to read the book, you can do so by going to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.com or .org, and 
click on the free library, you'll see a tab at the top of the page, and you'll be able to type in the book called Anything But Secret, and you can read it for free right there online or in North America. Call, and we'll be happy to send it to you. Thank you very much, listening friends. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be fair for us to take another caller, but I see Patrick and Nicole and Sawash and Bob and Nathan. Oh, I hope you'll give us another chance. And write, jot down your question and give us a call next week. Thank you for keeping Amazing Facts on the air. If you don't know who we are, just go to amazingfacts.org. In the meantime, we'll look forward to talking together with you again next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation of evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save His children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.